0: Hello everyone and welcome to PA Study Sesh. I'm your host, McKenna Morgan, and this week we'll be discussing disorders of inflammation, ischemia, and the eye Alright everybody, welcome back. As I said, we are wrapping up disorders of the small and large bowel. Today is primary disorders of inflammation, uh, both autoimmune and not, as well as those of intolerance. Uh, we also have a few on ischemia and the IDC, such as diverticulitis and appendicitis. Before we begin, I want to give a quick shout out to Chris. He is a nurse practitioner student who will be graduating in a few months. He gave some great feedback and a nice compliment, so I just want to say thank you to that. Um, I also have another listener who gave some feedback regarding some of the volume, so I will be experimenting with that in the next few episodes. And uh, we'll appreciate any feedback on that as well. And feel free to send any comments, questions, concerns, praise, brownie points, gold stars, all that to pastudysesh at gmail.com. Okay, so let's go ahead and begin with some of our questions. Describe Rob Singstein. And this is right lower quadrant pain with palpation of the left lower quadrant. What part of the bowel is most often affected in ulcerative colitis? And this is the distal bowel, such as the rectum. This starts in the rectum and spreads proximally. You may also have said the mucosal surface, and uh, that's not technically incorrect. I should have said segment of the bowel. That might've been a better question but I was looking for distal bowel. What is the diagnostic test of choice for diverticulitis? And this is a CT scan with contrast. Okay, so let's go ahead. Like I said, we're finishing up the uh, second half of our small and large bowel segment. A lot of our topics today are going to deal with inflammation of the bowel, as well as a few diseases of ischemia and then um, a couple other itises. So we're gonna start with appendicitis. The number one cause here is a fecalith. That literally means poop stone. Age here, our patients age 10 to 30. I want you to think adolescence with this. Um, symptoms here, peri umbilical pain followed by right lower quadrant pain. That's usually our big clue for appendicitis. Obviously, there are some other symptoms that are going to go with appendicitis, but they're very nonspecific. That's the one I want you to key in for appendicitis. Physical exam findings for appendicitis. I use the acronym PROM, and that's PROM with two R, so PROM, and that is psoas sign, Rav Singh sign, rebound tenderness, obturator sign, and McBurney's point tenderness. I'm going to go through these one by one and I'm going to skip Rav sign. I'm going to go back to it in just a second. So let's go ahead and we'll start with psoas sign. And psoas sign is right lower quadrant pain with right hip flexion. Makes sense. Okay, where your appendix is is the right lower quadrant. Glue that into your brain. Know your anatomy. Your appendix is in the right lower quadrant. That will make your life so much. And then it's going to be with right hip flexion. The motion for this is a leg raise against resistance. There technically are two ways to do it. I think that one's the easiest to remember. So basically, when you activate the psoas, it's going to irritate the appendix. So that's the psoas sign. Moving on to R. This is rebound tenderness. So as you're going through and you're palpating the abdomen, when you push down, they're gonna be a little bit tender. But then when you let go, they're gonna be super tender. That's a sign of acute abdomen in general, not specifically appendicitis though. So just keep that in mind. As I said, we're gonna skip Rov Singh's sign for just a second. And we're gonna move on to obturator sign. And this, again, is right lower quadrant pain with internal and external hip rotation with a flexed knee. Now, for both obturator and psoas sign, these are just the actions of those muscles. You activate those muscles, that's what the muscle, excuse me, that's what the sign's named for. So that makes them pretty easy to remember. Okay? Now... The M it stands for McBurney's Point Tenderness, and this is one-third the distance from the navel to the anterior superior iliac spine. That one's pretty easy as well because it's the only one that has to do tenderness. So now we have Rav Singh's sign. And as this was mentioned in our question, this is right lower quadrant pain when you palpate on the other side in the left lower quadrant. So, for me, to just put that name that Rav Singh goes with that particular palpation, it's the only one left. Because psoas sign and obturator sign are both named after muscles. So, they have to deal with me doing a particular motion with the leg. And their particular motion matches the action of the muscle. So just so I think it's better to logic through those names versus just memorizing what they are. And then we have McBurney's point, tenderness. Tenderness is literally in the name. So what does that leave us left? Rav Singh sign. It's named after a person, so it's not emotion. And it's the one that's left. It's not the greatest way to remember it, but that's how I remembered what it was. So hopefully that works for you guys. Make sense? Fingers crossed. Okay. Diagnosis of this is a CT. Just as a note, these patients will also have leukocytosis. It seemed to come up a lot in the notes that I was reading, but again, a lot of patients have leukocytosis, um, so not super specific. By the way, of note, most abdominal CTs are done with contrast. There are a few that are not, and we'll mention those. Um, they're more commonly um with renal diseases, so I'll mention those as we go along, but generally I mean with contrast. And treatment with this is most often surgical for board purposes. We're transitioning out of that, but not what you need to know for boards. Okay? So, big things to know for that. PROM, peri pain, followed by right lower quadrant pain. Diagnosis with a CT. Okay. Moving on, completely different directions, and we're going to talk about irritable bowel syndrome, also called IBS. This is a chronic disorder with no organic cause, aka it's kind of a diagnosis of exclusion. We've ruled out pretty much everything else. It's abdominal pain with defecation associated with a change in bowel frequency or form. So there's two thoughts here. So they can either be going more often than normal or less often than normal. And when they are going, it's either softer than normal or harder than normal, or it can alternate between the two. And whenever they have a bowel movement, it doesn't matter when, they have pain associated with it. Okay? This is at least one day a week in the last three months on average. And then, once they've defecated, the pain goes away. That's kind of a big thing. So like I said, it's abdominal pain with defecation. Most common onset is in young women. We're going to manage these patients kind of depending on their symptoms. If it's diarrhea predominant, we're going to use antidiarrheal such as loperamide or anticholinergic such as dicyclamine. If they primarily complain of constipation, we're going to use laxatives and prokinetics. We also want to focus on lifestyle changes with these patients. Everyone gets counseled on smoking sensation, low-fat diet, reducing unprocessed foods, avoiding sorbitol and fructose. These are known to increase diarrhea. And we want to increase exercise. Pretty basic stuff. All right. Big takeaway from this is that they have abdominal pain with defecation. And something about their bowel habits have changed. Either the frequency or the form or both. All right. Next up on our list is acute mesenteric ischemia. Yes, we're talking about blood supply again. (laughs) I actually was torn about putting this in the cardio section, but I decided to leave it here. So this is an issue of blood supply, so I want you to think back to acute arterial embolism because it is so very similar. The number one cause here is an occlusion. It could be an embolus, such as AFib, or from a thrombus, as in patients with atherosclerosis. Remembering that an embolus, the clot starts elsewhere, and that a thrombus, the clot starts there. So, uh, symptoms here, also like acute arterial embolism is severe pain out of proportion to physical exam. Here, it just happens to be abdominal pain. Diagnosis, this is a vascular issue, so we're going to get an angiogram. Management, surgical revascularization such as just an angioplasty with a stent or a bypass. Very much a cardio issue. It just happens to be in the abdomen. Okay. We also have chronic mesenteric ischemia. And this is mesenteric atherosclerosis of the GI tract. And symptoms here are chronic dull abdominal pain, worse after meals. And this is kind of like angina of the intestine. Think about it. There's more demand for blood after meals, and then they get the pain. Diagnosis again is angiogram management revascularization. Okay. Next up is toxic megacolon. I like this one in terms of boards because the name tells you pretty much everything you need to know about it. This is non-obstructive dilation of the colon greater than six centimeters plus systemic toxicity. So it's toxic and it's huge. Easy, it's right there. Um, Etiologies, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, also called, those two diseases together are called inflammatory bowel disease, which we're going to talk about in half a second. Pseudomembranous colitis and other infections. Pseudomembranous colitis, ulcerative colitis, put those two together with toxic megacolon. Symptoms are very nonspecific, but they are sick. They'll have tenderness and rigidity due to dilation. Makes sense. They're Bowel is trying to stretch out of there. Uh, You can diagnose this with an X-ray. And management here is bowel decompression, followed by rest and antibiotics. Okay, I want to do a couple of small ones in terms of topics before moving on to one of our bigger, big bad bears. So, inflammatory bowel disease. This technically includes two diseases and it encompasses Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. So I'm going to talk about the features of both and then I'm going to talk about them separately. So both of these disorders are autoimmune. So with that, they may have associated seronegative spondyloarthropathies such as arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, etc. Review back into our rheumatology lecture for what all other things may be associated with those. Okay? Episcleritis, uveitis, weight loss, fatigue. If you see any of those listed in a board question, you should automatically be cued into some sort of autoimmune patient every time. may not necessarily be IBD, but some sort of autoimmune patient with those four symptoms. These patients can also get a condition called erythema nodosum. And this is an inflammatory condition of fat. And it causes these large red bumps on the shins. And this is also associated with sarcoidosis, TB, and some other cancers. So it's not pathognomonic for IBD, but also kind of in that autoimmune and infectious spectrum. So put that together. I remember this erythema nodosum because I think nodosum, big, huge nodules, erythema red. Okay. And they're very um, sub Q. They're these, it's it's in the fat, so they look like this big, kind of weird bulge under the skin. It's very odd. Both Crohn's and UC patients have an increased risk of colon cancer, which we talked about last week. The treatment for both of these patients medically are salicylates, corticosteroids, and immune modifying agents. The regimen varies, but well beyond the scope of boards. Also want to note that NSAIDs can worsen symptoms for both of these patients. So if you have a patient that has Crohn's disease, but then they have arthritis, we want to avoid NSAIDs with them. Just keep those in mind. Okay, so all of that that I just said applies to both Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Now we're going to just talk about ulcerative colitis. Also going to say it as UC. This begins in the rectum and spreads proximally. It affects the mucosal surface only. So this is mucosa. Mucosa has UC in the middle. Ulcerative colitis, mucosa only. Smoking decreases the risk. However, you're not going to tell a patient to pick up smoking just because it'll decrease the risk of ulcerative colitis. But it's not uncommon for patients to quit smoking and then all of a sudden have a flare. Um, So just kind of something to keep in mind. And it's kind of unique. And boards love unique little tidbits like that. So there it is. Symptoms. Left lower quadrant pain abdominal pain, is the number one. And because this is the location of the rectum and the sigmoid colon. Remember, it works its way proximally. Sigmoid colon is on the left side. These patients also have bloody diarrhea and tenesmus, which is also known as urgency. Diagnosis of this, they'll get a flex sigmoidoscopy in acute disease, because the next two that I'm gonna list are contraindicated. So they can also get a colonoscopy and they'll have uniform inflammation, maybe some pseudopolyps. You can also diagnose this with a barium enema and they'll call it stovepipe sign. And this is a loss of those hostral markings. Remember the large bowel really kind of looks more like a scrunchie I know people don't wear scrunchies anymore, but it has those little um, little indentations. Well, the inflammation kind of smooths all that out, makes it look more like a stovepipe. So that will be on a barium enema. However, both of those are contraindicated during acute disease because of risk of perforation. Flex sigmoidoscopy is much lighter risk. Labs, there's a lot of labs that you're going to get with these guys, but these um, also are associated with a positive P-ANCA, that's P-A-N-C-A, which is also associated with primary sclerosing cholangitis, which we'll talk about in another episode. That's another complication of ulcerative colitis. These guys are also at risk, again, for colon cancer and toxic megacolon. Treatment, medical, is really common. But what's specific for these guys is surgery can be curative because ulcerative colitis spreads. If we just take out the affected part, it'll be curative. Okay? All right. Big takeaway points for ulcerative colitis. It begins in the rectum, spreads approximately. It affects the mucosal surface only. Decrease symptoms with smoking, stovepipe sign on barium enema, P. Anka, and surgery can be curative. All right. Switching gears to Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease affects any segment of the GI tract, from mouth to anus it affects the complete GI tract, Crohn's complete. This also affects all layers of the GI tract. So like I said, Crohn's complete, complete GI tract, complete thickness. Most commonly in the distal ileum, which is why they also typically have right lower quadrant pain. Symptoms, as I said, usually right lower quadrant pain if it's in the ileum, weight loss, Diarrhea, not typically bloody though. Uh, They also can have perianal disease such as fistulas, abscesses, granulomas. Again, this affects all tissues, so it's going to eat away all through there and create those literally holes. They also can have a lot of malabsorption issues, so they'll get iron and B12 deficiencies. And smoking will worsen their symptoms. So contrast that with ulcerative colitis. Diagnosis. can be diagnosed with a colonoscopy, and they have what's called skip lesions. And this is normal appearance between inflamed areas, which makes kind of sense. It can affect anywhere. It just kind of hops around, skips around. And they'll have a cobblestone appearance on colonoscopy. And you can also do some barium studies, upper GI series with a small bowel follow-through because we want to see the upper portion since it can affect the complete GI tract. This is indicated for acute disease. And here you have a string sign. And yes, string sign was for pyloric stenosis too. But it refers to a narrowed section of the GI tract. Your patient here is very different, so you're going to use your context clues to sift that apart. But know that. String sign, narrow GI tract. Makes sense. Management here, primarily all medical. Surgery is non-curative, though you might use it to fix some of their other symptoms. Okay? I know comparing and contrasting those in a verbal format is a little bit tricky. I definitely recommend making a table. That helped me a lot. But there those are for you guys. Uh, Big takeaways for Crohn's. It affects any segment of the GI tract. It completely affects the GI tract. It completely affects all layers of the tissue. They can have perianal disease, right lower quadrant pain. Smoking will worsen their symptoms. On colonoscopy, they have a cobblestoned appearance with skip lesions. It's not uniform like ulcerative colitis. All right, hopefully that all made sense. If you have any questions and any clarification, again, pastudysush at gmail.com. Always happy to clarify those for you. Switching gears to celiac disease. This is an immune disorder. And this is when you have inflammation as a reaction to gluten. Uh, Increased incidence in European females. And what happens is they end up losing the villi in the small intestine. So they are unable to absorb fat. So symptoms here, diarrhea, abdominal pain and distension, bloating, and steatorrhea. Makes sense. If you can't absorb fat, that's logically all those symptoms are going to occur. They also have a very interesting condition called dermatitis herpetiformis. Again, that's dermatitis herpetiformis. This is a puritic, papular vesicular rash on the extensor surfaces, neck, trunk, and scalp. So this is vesicular, like herpes simplex. And I remember that they're itchy because it's like an allergy to gluten. Versus erythema nodosum, which we saw back with IBD. Okay, so dermatitis herpetiformis really wants you to pair that with celiac disease. Okay, diagnosis: they'll have a positive endomysial IgA antibody and a positive transglutaminase antibody. Uh, but the definitive diagnosis is a small bowel biopsy, and you'll see the loss of those villi. Management, avoid gluten. This is wheat, rye, barley. And that's it for celiac disease. All right, two more topics. Mm, One's kind of two-in-one, sorry. Uh, Diverticular disease. So, a diverticula is an outpouching of mucosa at the opening for the vasa recta of the colon. These diverticula are most commonly located in the sigmoid colon, and this is just due to the high intraluminal pressure. That's just a fun fact. Don't think you need to know that. Risk factors for diverticula are low fiber diet, constipation, obesity. And age over 40. So if you just have diverticula, we just call it diverticulosis. um, But then these can get inflamed and infected. And then that's when we have diverticulitis. So symptoms of diverticulosis, typically asymptomatic, but this is the number one cause of acute lower GI bleeding. Okay, number one cause of acute lower GI bleeding is diverticulosis. Now, symptoms of diverticulitis, these are inflamed diverticula, usually secondary to obstructions, such as another fecolith, left lower quadrant abdominal pain because the sigmoid colon is here, and the sigmoid colon is the most common location of diverticula. Make sense? Okay. So, they're going to have abdominal pain in this area and fever, um, they Probably you're also going to have some GI bleeding. Makes sense? Diagnosis. CT scan with contrast is the test of choice. Obviously, if they have lower GI bleeding, we're going to get a guaiac. And for diverticulitis, they usually have an elevated white count. Management for diverticulitis. Clear liquid diet. Antibiotics. Our antibiotics of choice here are ciprofloxacin and metronidazole. For diverticulosis, we're just going to work on decreasing their risk factors. High fiber diet supplements, their bleeding usually stops spontaneously. Okay? Not that hard, was it? All right. Last one, and it's a really common sense one, so I saved it, <laughs> let you guys' brain recharge after diverticular disease and IBD is lactose intolerance. Yes, I know, so easy. Increased prevalence in African-Americans, Asians, and South Americans. Symptoms, they have loose stools, abdominal pain, flatulence, cramping, all associated with eating milk-containing products. What a thought. Uh, Diagnosis. I think this is like the one takeaway from this is the hydrogen breath test. Uh, Fun fact, this is due to the bacteria fermenting undigested lactose. They produce hydrogen when they ferment, uh, which then we can detect on your breath. Management, avoid lactose, lactose lactose-free diet, or take lactase enzymes. All right. That was everything, guys, so let's go ahead and go with our questions. What is the number one cause of lower GI bleeding? This is diverticulosis. What test is used for a definitive diagnosis of celiac disease? This is a small bowel biopsy. What is the number one cause of appendicitis? This is a fecal lift. All right, guys, five takeaway points from today. I'm sorry, these are actually kind of big ones. Number one, acute mesenteric ischemia equals pain out of proportion to physical exam, just like acute arterial embolism. Number two, irritable bowel syndrome equals pain associated with a change in stool whether that be frequency or consistency, that is relieved with defecation. Number three, both Crohn's and ulcerative colitis are autoimmune diseases. Therefore, we pair them with other autoimmune conditions and symptoms, episcleritis, uveitis, spondyloarthropathies, weight loss, and fatigue. Number four, Crohn's affects the GI tract completely, all layers and mouth to anus. Ulcerative colitis starts at the rectum, with a U, and affects only the mucosal, UC layer. Okay. And number five, dermatitis herpetiformis, think celiac disease. It's itchy like an allergy and vesicular like herpes. All right, that is everything for today. As always, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, feedback, anything like that, I'm happy to hear from you. My email is pastudysesh at gmail.com. I would really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. Also, please share us with your friends. Have them subscribe. Have them follow us on Facebook. We are at PA Study Sesh on Facebook as well. Please head on over to our website. We are PA Study Sesh at Blueberry.net. And that is Blueberry with no ease. We have complete copies of the blueprint as well as a promo code for 20% off your subscription to Picmonic. I have a little review there as well about how much I freaking love Picmonic. Cannot say enough about how much I used it as a student it made my life so much easier and they even have data to back it up so uh, use my link there for 20% off your subscription there I'd like to thank Lee Rosevere for the use of his song Tech Toys and Curiosity for the intro outro and question portions of our podcast and for next week I think I'm going to start jumping over to the accessory organs before discussing the rectum I don't know Does it really matter? We're all going to cover it in good time. So my hunch is though to do the gallbladder next week. So, um, hope you guys tune in for that. Again, pastudysesh at gmail.com. This podcast is for you guys. This is why I do it. I've already passed my boards. Makes no difference to me about reviewing this stuff. So this is for you guys. I want it to make sense for you. So I appreciate all your comments, concerns, and feedback. So, um, I hope you guys have a wonderful week and a happy Halloween.